in your preaching guide, if you grabbed one of the worship guides off the, the back table, there's a little quote at the top, and it's, it's adapted from really three different theologians, just kind of put some of their thoughts together about Psalm 121. Every word in this psalm is calculated to encourage and strengthen our faith and hope in God. I want to say that again because I, I believe it to be true that this is a very intentional wording. And every one of these words in this psalm, as Scott said, this is just an amazing psalm. One of the theologians talked about that they literally read it every day. That it was their psalm that they just went to every day of their life and read through it. And every word is calculated to encourage our faith and to strengthen our hope in God. And the doctrine of His providence that God always keeps watch for us should be deeply rooted in our hearts so that depending on His guardianship alone, we can bid goodbye to all the vain confidences of the world. It's not just in this psalm that we are taught the providence of God, the care and sovereignty of God over our lives. It is throughout Scripture, but it is so dense in Psalm 121. The providence of God, His care for us, that He guards our lives. And then as you read this, to see our faith increased is a goal but to also see our hope growing in Him. That more and more and more, He becomes our confidence. More and more and more, we are relying on Him. And the things that we would put our confidence in on this earth, whether it be a person, a job, a career, a paycheck, whether it be a particular doctor or medicine, whatever we might put our confidence in, those things would not be the place of our greatest hope and trust, but rather God and His guardianship over our lives would be the place where we put all of our hope. And so I hope that happens for us today going through Psalm 121. I hope it encourages our faith. I hope it deepens our hope in the Lord. And if you are in this room and are watching this later and you, you don't have a confidence in God, and, and maybe people around you would know that, or maybe they don't. Maybe, maybe that's hidden from others. But you know in your heart of hearts, I really, really just struggle with faith, and I really don't have a lot of confidence and hope in God. My prayer is today, as we go through Psalm 121, that would be infused into your heart. And the Lord would open your eyes to see His care for you. and His providence over your life. And, and if you are here and you believe in that, you hope in Him, you trust in His provision, and you bank your life on His providence, my hope is that today that will be strengthened in you. And out of your heart will be drawn praise and worship and that you will see that you can grab a hold of Him even stronger than you have before. Father, I thank You for this morning. I thank You for our time together. Thank You for this church. Thank You for the people 
in this family. I thank You for our visitors, God. I thank You for Your care over us, Your provision to us. I thank You for the good meal that we had this morning and the fellowship. Thank You for those, God, on who are in front of us today that You have placed in them gifts that You are encouraging and growing, that they could lead us today in the timeless act of singing before our God. I thank You for Your Word, and I thank You for this psalm that was penned so many centuries ago in a place and a time that we don't know the specifics of. But You had someone write this psalm of confidence. And God, You have preserved it so many centuries later for us to hear Your Word. I pray today, God, that You would give us faith. I pray that You would instill faith in our heart. And God, that You would cause our faith to grow if it is already there. I ask, God, that You would deepen our hope in You and our confidence. I pray You would open our eyes to where we are putting our trust too much in worldly things or people or circumstances. And I pray, Father, that You would show us the strength that is reliance on You. I pray, God, that we would see Your care and compassion for us and that we would be moved by it. Moved to worship and moved to faithfulness to You because of Your faithfulness to us. Father, guard me in my preaching. Let me preach in Christ. Guard us in our hearing. Let us hear in Christ. Save the lost and strengthen those who are yours. In Jesus' name, amen. In your notes, Psalm 121 opens this way, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? Why would your eyes be down? Why would someone need to bring their eyes up? And it's because they are going through a time of despair. They are going through a trial, a season of sadness, anxiety, depression, and their eyes are down. And so they look up, and the question they ask is, where is my help going to come from? They are in a valley, they look to the hills. Maybe they look to the hills because they think that is where their security will come from. Maybe they look to the hills because they they think that's where their enemy is going to come. And they they are exposed in this valley. In your notes, in the time of your despair, look up. That's the encouragement right away. I love Advent. I love Christmas. I love this season. It, is, it has been like the fall season into Christmas. As long as I can remember, this has been my favorite time of the year. I love it. I love everything about it. But one thing that I, I, have, I have seen and heard as I have gotten older is that is not true for everyone. For many people, this is a season of despair. This week, I I had a conversation with a new friend, someone that I was talking to from our community, and they shared with me that they 
They feel like they barely make it through the season. They, they, they put on a, a happy face for their kids because they want their kids to enjoy Christmas, but they had a traumatic thing that happened to them years ago during the Christmas season. And every year it gets brought back up. And every year they are depressed during this time. And I've heard story after story about that over the years. Whether it's just a, a difficult time of year because feeling like you don't have enough or can't give people enough or missing loved ones. There's just something about this season for some people. Maybe you're walking through that right now. Maybe it's not about this particular season. But you are just in a place in your life right now that you would describe it as despair. If you are not in that place right now, the chance are, chances are you will walk through it. Very few, if any, people get to walk through this life without going through times of despair. And the encouragement that I want to give you right away from Psalm 121 is look up. There is hope. Bring your eyes up. Don't just convince yourself to power through. Keep your head down. Don't let anyone know. That is not the way to deal with despair. You need to bring your eyes up. Not to just look around you, but to look up for help. It is not weakness to ask for help. It is not weakness to confess your despair. It is the first step to healing and strength. Look up. More people around you are going through those same times than you know. There's something about us that there's a lot of things that we're willing to talk to people about, a lot of things that we're willing to share with them. But sadness, fear, depression, for some reason, we struggle to tell anyone about that. And it may be because we've shared that with people in the past and it hasn't went very well. Hasn't gone very well. My encouragement is to look up in your despair. Ask for help. But that's not the only encouragement. That's the kind of encouragement you would probably get from well-meaning people in the world. But we don't stop there. We look up. In your despair, don't seek your hope in the things of the world. Don't try to heal yourself or seek hope simply through another person or a changing of circumstance. Don't look around to the things that you can fill your life with to try to temporarily make yourself feel better. Look up. Where does your help come from? It comes from the Maker of heaven and earth. He is your help in your despair. In your notes, in the time of your despair, look up and see with eyes of faith. The psalmist says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? And then he gives the answer, the answer of confidence. My help 
will come from the Lord, who has made heaven and earth. We have eyes to see physically, to look around and, and, and see things we can reach out and, and touch and experience. And we know that reality. But there's a secondary reality, and that is that your heart has eyes. Your heart looks to see the things that you can't see physically with your eyes, but the things that you hope for, the things that you wish for. And, and those eyes, the eyes of the heart, are just as real as the ones that are in your skull. But the eyes of your heart, to look up and seek the help of God, the eyes of your heart have to be opened. And you have to come to a place where you believe the reality of what you cannot yet see. And no one can give that to you. No one. No one around you, no family member, no friend, no preacher, no religious practice can open those eyes. If you do not believe, the only thing you can do is the one thing that you must do. Ask God to help you see. Ask Him to open your eyes. I ask this question to people sometimes when I'm talking to them and they're struggling with faith and they're struggling with whether they believe. And the question I'll pose is something like this. If you knew for certain that everything in this book was true, would you want to believe it? And would you want to give your life to it? Sometimes the lack of our being able to see and have faith is because honestly, we don't want it to be true. Because we don't agree with it. But sometimes we, we want to believe and we just can't. No matter which one of those two places you might find yourself in in a season of despair, God will help you through both if you will ask. If you will ask Him to open the eyes of your heart, help you to desire His Word and to believe it. He is the only one who can do that for you. If you have a copy of God's Word, go to, to the left of the Psalms and go to 2 Kings for a moment. You ought to go over several books take this moment to say if you do not have a copy of the Bible, we would love to gift you one today. We have some. There are, there's a couple on the back table. You can go get them right now and that's your gift from us. Or we can get you one after the service if there's not one back there. In 2 Kings 6, I'm not going to read the whole thing. I just want to tell you the story and I'll read a couple of verses from verse 8 to verse 17. The Bible says that the people of Israel were at war with the people of Syria. And the king of Syria was doing everything he could to attack and destroy the people of Israel. And so his plan was to ambush them. 
So he would talk to his men and to his military leaders, and he would say, okay, listen, here's what we're going to do. Let's go camp at this place, and let's be real quiet about it, and then when the people of Israel, when the king of Israel and his armies come by, we will attack them out of the blue and we'll destroy them. The problem was that every time they did that, the people of Israel, the king of Israel and his armies knew they were there. And they were ready for them, and the ambush never worked. So the king of Syria eventually pulls all of his military guys together, and he says, all right, one of you is a rat. Which one? One of you, you keep telling the people of Israel what we're doing. You're a spy. And, and, and all of his military men, they're like, no, 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 it's not us. It's not us. And he says, well, then how do they know every single time and his men say, because there's a man among the people of Israel named Elisha. And he's a prophet of God, and he hears what you say in your bedroom. So the king says, all right, let's go get him. Because that makes sense. We'll ambush him. So he puts together an army. They go to the city where Elisha is at night. The next morning, Elisha gets up and his servant gets up and his servant steps outside and he sees surrounding the city the army of the king of Syria. All of his chariots and his horses and he panics. And he runs inside to Elisha. And in verse 15 it says, When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out. Behold, an army with horses and with chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? And Elisha says, Don't be afraid. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now, Elisha's servant doesn't see anything except these surrounding armies. So I imagine he kind of looks at Elisha like, what are, you, what are you talking about? I have physical eyes in my skull, and I see what we're up against. But Elisha says, there's something you can't see with these eyes. And then Elisha prays in verse 17, Oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And you can go on and you can read the rest of the story of God's deliverance of Elisha. Now, you can read that and you can say what an incredible story that is. What an amazing thing that must have been. But would you be willing to believe today that Elisha was just a man? And you are surrounded as the people of God by the armies of God the same as he was. Would you be willing to believe that when your physical eyes see the danger all around, the threats all around, that if you will pray, the eyes of your heart can see the help God provides His people. He 
does not favor one of his children over the other. What he did for Elisha, not only will he do for you, but he has done it for you your entire life. You might have a moment where you see danger of some kind and God swoops in and He saves the day and you can see that and you can testify of that. But have you ever thought how many days of your life you get to the end of your day and you go to sleep and you did not realize how many times you were close to death and God delivered you? You're surrounded by the One who is the Maker of heaven and earth. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. In your notes, see with eyes of faith. See the God who is wise and mighty. See the God who is wise and mighty. That's why the psalmist says that. My help comes from the Lord. But He doesn't stop there. The One who made heaven and earth. What does that mean? He is the Creator God. This creation is filled with His wisdom. He made everything in His wisdom. And that God who wisely put everything together is your help. Not only that, He is the One who is mighty. He spoke everything into existence. Out of nothing, He created everything and designed it. I think there's a reason that Romans says that even people who are atheist and deny God at the end of the day, they're actually denying the truth that they really know. Because if you study this creation, if you study human beings, if you study the world we live in, you cannot look at how it operates and the intricacies of your body and just say, there wasn't a designer. There wasn't a creator. There was. He is wise and mighty and He is your help. This God who is wise and mighty is also ever present and willing. He is ever present and willing to be your help. We need both. If God was wise and mighty, but He was absent and unwilling, then His help does nothing for us. If God was present and willing, but He was not wise and mighty, His help cannot be trusted. But God, who is full of wisdom and mighty to save, is present with you and willing to help you. In Psalm 3, I'll read you a few verses the first five verses of Psalm 3. David writes and says, 
Lord, how many are my foes? Do you feel like that sometimes? God, there's danger all around. How many situations am I going to find myself in? How many threats can come against me? Oh Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. And then David does what we talked about a few weeks ago. He preaches to himself, but you, O oh Lord, you are a shield about me. My glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill. I laid down and slept, and I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. David writes, and he says, God, I know you are present, and I know you're willing. He says, I, I lay down and sleep. How is it that you're able in the midst of your anxiety and fear and despair, how could you possibly lay down and sleep unless you know someone is on guard for you? Charles Spurgeon tells, told a story about a, a merchant vessel that was traveling from England to the United States and the captain of the ship brought his family with him for the trip and while they were sailing Across the ocean, this great storm came up one night. Violent winds driving waves over the top of the ship and the ship rocking back and forth. And the people on the vessel began to panic. And below deck, the captain's little eight-year-old girl got up and she saw all the commotion and she said, what's going on? And someone said, it's a violent storm. And she looked at the person and she said, is father on deck? And they said, yes, your father is on deck. And the little girl went back to her room and laid down and went back to sleep. Because all she needed to know was that her dad was there and taking care of things. She had so much trust in him. Your God is present. Your Father in heaven is willing to help you. Ask. Lay down in confidence that He is on guard. And know that when you wake up again, it's not by chance. You go to bed and you wake up because of His providence over your life. He is present and willing. It's so clearly laid out in Psalm 46.1 remember my mom reading this psalm to me almost every night when I was a kid. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. See in your times of despair, see with eyes of faith the God who is wise and mighty, who is present and willing. And in your notes, the God who is always attentive to you. Look at, look at verse 3 and 4. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel, he who keeps the people of God, will neither slumber nor sleep. What does that mean? God doesn't go to bed at night. 
You don't have to wake him up to tell him something. But not only that, he doesn't slumber. He doesn't nap. He doesn't have times where he's not paying attention. He is always watching over His people. He is attentive to your life. He is attentive to every single solitary detail. If you ever have that question, God, do you see this? Do you know what's happening? The answer is yes. The enemy enemy will do exactly what these people in Psalm 3 were doing to David. Lord, many are my foes. Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for you and God. The enemy will come in the midst of your despair and he will say, God does not see. God does not care. God is not going to save. And the psalmist says, your God is your refuge and an ever-present help in trouble. And he does not sleep and he does not slumber. Find your peace in your despair. Sleep in your anxiety, knowing God is on guard and He is attentive to your life and to what is happening. And Isaiah, the prophet, is prophesying against Isaiah chapter 56, one of the many places that he does this, but he's prophesying against the leaders of Israel, the shepherds, those who are supposed to be watching over the people of God, the people of Israel. And he says of them, the watchmen over Israel are blind. They are all without knowledge. They are silent dogs. They cannot bark. Dreaming, lying down, they love to slumber. Why do I share that? Because God is not those faithless shepherds. He is the faithful shepherd. He is not blind. He is attentive. He is not a silent dog. He will speak to His people. He does not dream and lie down and slumber. He is awake. He is attentive. And this God who is always attentive to your life, in your notes, He is your observer and He is your guard. Those two words are the best words we can combine to get to the word keeper. Verse 5. If you could underline just anything in this text, highlight any verse, look at the very first part of verse 5. Preach this to yourself. Let this be in your soul. The Lord is your keeper. Say it to yourself throughout your day. The Lord is my keeper. Speak that to your despair, your anxiety, your enemies. The Lord is my keeper. It means my observer and my guard. Several weeks ago, we took the kids to the zoo. We have not gone there in quite some time. Caroline had never been before. And, and so we went during the week. It was a pretty low crowd day and uh, kind of a low key day for us. And we Toward the very end of the day, about 20 minutes before they closed, the last thing we did is we wandered over to the, to the black bear exhibit. And it just so happened that as we were going over to the exhibit, we ran into the lady who is the keeper of the black bears at the zoo. And 
it struck me she was very young and at first I, I just kind of assumed she was just one of the you know one of the workers that has a task to do but she she spoke to us and then she asked if we had any questions and and of course we did and and the kids did and so we started asking her questions about the bears and what i became struck by is how knowledgeable she was not not about just bears in general but these two bears she spent a lot of time explaining to us their background and where they had come from and how they got to where they are today and she shared with us about their unique personalities and how she would approach both of them differently even during feeding time and she would point out things that we could notice about how one was acting versus how the other one was acting and then of course we ask her questions because in our mind it's like all right was about time right for them to hibernate so what is that all about and so she explained to us what it would look like when they would hibernate but then she told us she said, you may notice we've shut off certain parts of their, of their environment here, and, and it's because we know that they're going to have a tendency to want to go over there, and they're going to do this, and we don't want them to do that because they won't be safe. So we shut this part off. We restrict their freedom over here, and then we, we, we encourage them and guide them over to this area because this is where we want them to be. And this is how we will take care of them during this upcoming season. She was a true keeper. An observer and a guard. Now if a person made in the image of God, caring for a portion of His creation as a keeper, knows how to do that well, how much more does your Creator know how to keep you? Do you understand? He knows everything about you. He knows everything that has ever happened to you. He knows your personality. He knows your tendencies. He knows what you will do if you are put in certain situations. And there are certain things that He will never be He will never allow you to be put into. Certain situations He will never allow you to come across. Certain things He will never allow you to face because He knows it would destroy you. But there are some things that He will guide you into because He knows you need to be there. Because He knows it is for your good. Because He knows it's what you need to be strengthened and to grow. He knows everything about you. There are things that He will put into your life and you will be so thankful that He did. But there's going to be things He will put into your life and you will question, why are you doing this? But it's because He's your keeper. There are certain things He will withhold from you and you will question, why will you not do this? But it is for your good. Other things He will keep from you you may never even know about. We started this year talking about the attributes of God. God knows everything. He knows all that has happened. He knows all that is happening. He knows all that will happen and He knows all that could happen that never will happen. Because He won't allow it. He is your keeper. You 
live in His providence, in His provision, in His care. He is your observer and your guard. What does He keep you from? Number one, His people, He keeps them from sin. He keeps us from sin. He will not let your foot be moved, the psalmist says. Those times in your life where everything feels very unstable, God is your foundation. He strengthens where you're standing. And if you ever question, could things get so bad? Could my trials be so much that I might fall away from the living God? He keeps His people. He keeps His people. In one of the most famous parables of all time, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, there's a wise person and a foolish person. The wise person hears the words of God and they do them. And that person is like one who builds their house on a rock and the storm comes, but the person is safe. The foolish person is the one who hears the words of God and does not listen. They don't have faith in them. They don't listen. I'm not talking about just mere obedience. Do not do this. Do this. I'm talking at the foundation of the gospel of believing in Christ and clinging to Him. And the person who hears those words and fails to do them, they're like the foolish person who built their house on the sand and the storm comes and the house falls and great was the fall of it all. God keeps His people. He gives us His Word. He gives us a concern for His Word. We hear the Gospel we believe. We strive to obey in His power. We are building our house on a rock. And the storm may come. The season of despair may come. But our life will not crumble. Our life will be steady. He keeps us from sin. He keeps us from elements. Verse 6 the Lord is your keeper. Excuse me, verse 5. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. God, God just keeps us safe from the circumstances of the world. Again, not that we don't face trouble in this life. There are things that will come into our life that He will allow but our life will not be overcome by that trouble. And there are certain things in this life that we will not face because God is our keeper. Before we become discouraged and shake our fist at God for the things that He has allowed to come, we must see with our eyes of faith that He has kept so much from us. He is our keeper from sin, from elements, and from evil. Verse 7, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. There is not a force of evil on this earth. 
There is not a force of evil in the realm that we cannot see that is able to have the last word over your life, that is able to destroy you. God will keep your foot from falling. God will keep you from being overcome by that evil. God will keep you. He will keep your life. There's a lot of scary things in this life. There's a lot of things to look around and and be concerned about. There's a lot of things to despair over. Encouragement from Scripture is not you can live this life free from the influence of those things or of danger in this world. The promise of Scripture is that your God is in control. And He sees you and He is attentive to your life. You can be the little kid on the ship. The storm is rocking the boat. And you can say, my father is on the deck. All is well. In your notes, no other way to sum it up except verse 8. He will keep you in everything now and forever. He will keep you in everything now and forever. Look at verse 8. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in How many times we're told that? Verse 3, He who keeps you. Verse 5, The Lord is your keeper. Verse 7, The Lord will keep you. He will keep your life. Verse 8, The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in. Literally, every part of your life, God will keep. What are you despairing over right now? What are you afraid of? A relationship issue? Job loss, financial problems, health concerns. What are you despairing over? What is the situation that is causing your grief? The Lord will keep you. You're going out and you're coming in. When? From this time forth and forevermore. Right now He is keeping you. And when you get to heaven... He is keeping you. He will keep you for all of eternity. You are kept by Him now. You will be kept by Him forever. The end of Psalm 91, which is a wonderful psalm about the protection of God, you're probably familiar with, but the end of it, verse 14 through 16, because... He holds fast to me in love. This is God speaking about you, about His children that look to Him. Because He holds fast to me in love, I will deliver Him. I will protect Him because He knows my name. When He calls to me, I will answer Him. I will be with Him in trouble. I will rescue Him. I will honor Him. With long life, I will satisfy Him and show Him my salvation. For many of God's people, that long life will be experienced on this earth. But even for those who are not, that promise of long life is the promise of eternity. Now and forevermore. 
Now and forevermore, He is your keeper. So how does this tie into Advent? We've been asking that question every week. In your notes, this third week of Advent, the theme is Jesus is our freedom. Old Testament believers, Old Testament saints, looked with eyes of faith for the Savior to come. That's what we see throughout Scripture. They were looking ahead. Colossians chapter 2 says that all of the Old Testament rituals and the temple, all of the, the celebrations and feasts, everything that the people of God were doing, they were a shadow of the substance. It was like Jesus casting a shadow into the Old Covenant. And if you had followed that shadow, you would find the Savior. Hebrews chapter 11 says those Old Testament saints received their commendation by having faith in the things they could not yet see. So at Advent, we are kind of placing ourselves back into that time of the people who were looking ahead in faith to the Savior to come. But today where we live in Advent, it is a reminder that the Savior did come. And He lived. And He died. And He rose again. And He lives right now. And we can't see Him with these eyes in our head, but we see Him with the eyes of our heart. And He lives. And He will come again and we will see Him in every aspect, in every way. So what do we do? In your notes, we now cling to Jesus with this same faith of the Old Testament saints. And as we cling to Jesus, we ask Him for liberty. We ask Him for liberty. Why? Because going back to what Corey read to us this morning in Luke chapter 4, Jesus told us one of the reasons He had come in Luke chapter 4, He has come to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Those who are oppressed by sin, those who are caught up in their sin, Jesus comes to proclaim, you can be free. Trust in Me. Trust in Me. Don't trust in yourself. Don't trust in created things. Don't set up idols in your life to find hope. Don't hear my word and forget about it like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. Listen. Believe. Ask God to open the eyes of your heart to do a miracle. The Bible calls being born again. And Jesus will set you to liberty with no slave no longer being a slave to sin but also the people of God those who walk with Christ who find themselves in the bitter hold of despair ask Christ for liberty in your despair look up look up and ask where does my help come from and answer to your soul, my help comes from the Maker of heaven and earth.